0: Well, I actually delivered this message once before, about three years ago, and it was at a time when Hurricane Harvey was coming in, so there was nobody here. So hopefully none of you guys have heard this this sermon before. But really, this sermon is kind of um, apropos for what's going on. I mean, is it not just crazy right now? Are you feeling just discombobulated with everything that's going on? I mean, you could argue that us in this community Um, We've really just taken it on the chin in so many different ways. We've had hurricanes, and we've had explosions, and we've had elections, and just everything that's the COVID virus, everything that's been going on is just kind of leaving us kind of discombobulated. It's kind of leaving us um, maybe wondering about some things, and this is is really a, a sermon on trials and adversity and how they affect our understanding of God. You know, it's one thing to talk about how am I gonna make it through something, but it's another thing to think about how it affects our understanding about God. What happens when our hope and our faith collides with unexpected hardships, adversities, and failures? I know what happens to me. It's called disappointment. I get disappointed. Anybody here ever been disappointed? There's one thing that we all have in common, right? Every day, probably, we suffer some form of disappointment. We have disappointment in our relationships, in our jobs. We have disappointments in uh, the, the things that we set our hands to that don't work out like they're supposed to. You know, for me, disappointment are when things don't go as I hoped, as I planned, or as I prepared for. That leaves me disappointed. You know, um, disappointment is a dangerous thing disappointment can lead to depression it can lead to despair um, it can contribute to hopelessness in fact it can even contribute to death Uh, the ucla psychologist named james coleman did a study on people who had been shipwrecked at sea and he found that there were people that even when they lost hope they would die even before they really physically uh, were expected to die. In other words, they could have lived longer physically, but losing hope actually led to their death. I think about disappointment on small scales and large scales. One of my favorite stories about disappointment is about uh, when I was a kid, used to, uh, you didn't order things online, you'd look in the back of magazines and there'd be little ads and you could could find things in the back of magazines and they would, in my mad magazine, they would advertise for these x-ray vision glasses. And you could see through anything. And I remember as a kid thinking, man, I saved up my money. I got the, the letter and I wrote the letter and I couldn't wait for it to come in. And back then, you know, it's not two day delivery. I mean, you had to wait for things. And I waited and I waited. I couldn't wait to get those glasses. And when I got those stupid things, it was some plastic frames with a little cardboard cutout with some holes in the middle of them. You talk about disappointed. I was disappointed. <laughs> You know, when we get disappointed, what what's the first thing that you do? What do you ask? Why? Why, Lord? You know, why me? Why does this happen? That's our question, right? And when trouble comes, we look for quick relief. We want God to do it right then. We we want Him to respond. We want Him to do what we want, not what we 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 don't want to know what God wants. We want we say what He should do. And that's what we look for. And when we don't get an answer, we ask why. And when we don't get an answer to why, we don't understand. And if we're not careful, it can really affect what we think about God. Can I trust God? I prayed for this. Hey, how how many of you prayed for the election this time around? You know, for God's will to be done. And it didn't work like you wanted to. Where are you at, God? How many of you prayed for someone to get healed and it didn't happen? Why? Can I trust God? It's a legitimate question that we have when we go through trials and adversity and when we have disappointment. But I'm here to tell you today, you can trust God. You can trust Him. You know, many people, they'll surrender their faith when they're faced with disappointment and they have these unfounded beliefs about God. World War II veteran Thomas J. Smith, he left for the war with an intention to return home and to attend seminary. And he had a beautiful fiance that was waiting for his return and he had a promising and bright future ahead. During the time that he was gone, he lost his mother and his father. He lost a brother in the war. And months after his departure, his fiance um, grew more and more distant, and that relationship fell apart. So he lost all this and whenever he was writing about this, upon his return to the United States, his desire to attend seminary was gone along with his faith in God. And in telling his story, he recounted that too many disappointments drove him from his faith. But when he talked about being restored to the Lord, he said that it was not the disappointment that drove him away from the Lord, but rather his response to the disappointment. That was what he came to realize. It wasn't the disappointment. It was how he responded to the disappointment that left him where he was. And it took him a while to get back. You know, if we're not careful, we can tell ourselves things about God because of how he responds to our trials and our adversities. One of the things that we would might say, and you know, these are things that if you say them out loud, you think, "Oh, that's ridiculous. I would never say that." But if you think about it, it's these subtle little voices inside your head that may be telling you these things. For instance, you know, you ever said you pray, and I don't know, does God really hear my prayers? I mean, am I worthy to be heard by God? I mean, I'm praying it, but I mean, is it really getting through? I mean, he's not answering. I don't see any results. Is he really hearing my prayers, or, or, maybe he hears them, but he just doesn't care? Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not worthy to be loved. Maybe I just, you know, there's some reason that I'm not getting my prayers through to God, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's about him, it's, or maybe it's about me, but or maybe he just can't answer my prayers. Maybe he's not even there. Maybe there's no even God to answer my prayers. These are those subtle things that might be going through the back of your mind. But I want to really kind of go through today something to try to help you to to see this in a different perspective. And I want to really use the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to glean a few things about trials and adversity and disappointments that I think we can all kind of apply in our own lives. I'm going to read, this is in Luke chapter 22. I love this version for for one particular reason, but he says, uh, now remember they'd had the Passover dinner." and he had removed himself and some of his close disciples and they had gone off into the garden and he, gone, he had gone off and he, it says in verse 40, and when he came to the place he said to them pray that you may not enter t- into temptation and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and, he, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He so said, Found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man named Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus and kissed him, and we know the rest. That's when he was led away. So Jesus asked God if there's any other way. Remove this cup. You know, remove this cup. We all know the story. The cup was not removed, was it? It wasn't. So did God hear Jesus' prayer? Obviously he did. Uh, And there's a couple of things that I want to point out to you that I think are uh, important to show that he heard the prayer. I want to first of all note the condition that Jesus was in When he was making this prayer it says that he was in deep anxiety such deep anxiety that he was sweating blood most of you have probably heard this before that's a condition called hematohydrosis and it's caused by extreme stress and it's an indication that jesus was under an extreme degree of stress at that moment but i want to fast forward and i want you to look at jesus when he's confronting the religious leaders when he's standing before herod when he's standing before Pontius Pilate. How was he then? Jesus seemed to have been transformed into a calm, quiet, controlled individual that was under silent resolve. You see, the cub didn't get removed, but Jesus received something that allowed him to endure. You might call it the, you might call it the peace in the storm. You know, he was able to endure this traumatic event with a calmness and a quietness. It reminds me of a time whenever, in about 1999, I was a young lawyer, I had a family with two kids, I had a big old student loan, and I was in this job, and my boss came to me and said, hey, listen, man, we're really sorry, but we're losing this client, and we're going to have to lay you off. Okay. Well, people get laid off. But it just so happened that that was happening at the same time that I had to go in and have neck surgery. So the guy said, my boss says, well, look, man, I'll tell you what, I know you got to have this neck surgery. So I'm going to, you know, when you get back, I'll let you have a month to look for a job. So from September to October, you'll have a month you can look for a job. Okay. That's great. So after the surgery, what happens? I get pneumonia. Okay. So this whole time that I'm supposed to be looking for a job, I'm at home with pneumonia with two kids and a wife and a student loan this tall and I'm freaking out. And I'm pacing the floors. And I remember one night, I'm pacing the floors. And, and I'm, I've got it on PBS. And the show called The Farmer's Wife is on. It's a documentary. But all these horrible hardships that these farmers go through every single year. And I'm, I mean, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I can't, oh, my God, I can't take this anymore. And I got to the point where I just really didn't think I could take it anymore. I said, God, you said if I gave this to you that you would, t- you would help me. I'm laying this at your feet. And I kid you not, I've I never had anything like this happen before. Almost instantaneously, it was gone. The stress was gone. It was peace. The circumstances were the same, but the stress was gone. I went to bed and I chuckled and said, okay, thanks, Lord. The rest of the story is awesome. I don't have time to tell you about it tonight, but the rest of the story is miraculous of what he did with that situation. But God hears prayers. Sometimes the answer that he gives us He's going to be different than what we're looking for. Sometimes he's just going to give us the endurance to go through it because he knows what's ahead. We talk about the timelessness, how God is outside of time. He knows the beginning. He's the everlasting to everlasting. He knows what's going on. He knows your situation. We just have to stand on that. Was Jesus heard? Of course he was. Was he disappointed that the cup was not taken away? Jesus got exactly what he desired. Well, some people might say, well, maybe God just doesn't, maybe he just doesn't care enough, or maybe he's got bigger issues, or maybe my my concerns are not big enough for God, you know? Well, I mean, when Jesus prayed to God and asked him, he didn't really give him, he didn't remove the cup. Did that mean that Jesus wasn't important to God? Of course not. Jesus is honored, his name is honored above all other names. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's called my beloved son. So we can be encouraged by that when we don't get the exact answer that we're looking for. The father's response to Jesus' adversity was not a sign of his lack of love. It wasn't a sign of his lack of concern. It just meant that God had a greater purpose. That's what it meant. You know, we shouldn't assume that God doesn't love us just because because of how we perceive his responses. You know, we need to rely on the character of God. We need to understand who God is and what his character is so that we can know that whatever happens, whatever the response is, it's out of love and it's out of his greater purpose. Let me ask you this. Don't you realize that God knows your greatest desires, your greatest wants, your greatest needs, even more than you do? He knows even more than you do what it is that you need, want, desire. And I, whenever I used to teach in children's church, I always like to tell the story about um, my high school girlfriend broke up with me. I was I was mortified. It was tragic. I prayed to God to restore the relationship, and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and it never got restored. And then I remind them of the Garth Brooks song "Unanswered Prayers." You guys may have heard it before. It says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And then I tell him a story about meeting Miss Margaret and, you know, the rest is history. So that's one of the things I want you to think about is sometimes we think we know what's best for us. We think we know what we want. God knows better. And he's got something better in store for you. well, What about this idea that maybe God just can't? Maybe He just can't. Maybe maybe He just wound it all up and let it go, and He's not interacting, and He's just—it's going. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I can't really rely on God to, to change things. It is what it is. You know. What about that? I think that God's sustaining power is not diminished by the evil in this world. God is holding all this together. It is him that holds it is him that is in charge of, of it all. Just because evil's in the world doesn't mean that God is somehow hampered or that he can't do what he needs to do. Um, think about Matthew 26, 53, uh, when the, I think one of the apostles drew the sword and cut the guy's ear off, and Jesus chastised him. He says, uh, Do you not think I cannot pray to my father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? You know? He's got the power. He can do what he wants and what he needs to do. You know, if we insist on bending to each and every, if we insist that God bends to each and every petition that we make of him, we may be setting ourselves up for a permanent state of disappointment. What we got to start trying to do is not to try to manipulate God to do what we want. We need to. We don't need him to get onto our plan. We need to get into his plan. Let us get into your plan, God. You know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why all this stuff is happening, but you know what I want? I don't want to try to fight against God. I want to get into his plan. I want to get in his boat and go the direction he's going. And that's where my heart should be. My heart is not to try to fight my way through, fight my way through and, and try to get it done my way. My, my, my heart should be God, let me line up with you, what you're doing. And there, then if there's adversity or whatnot, hey, God knows it. I'm in, I'm in His will. I'm in His plan. That's, what I, that's where I need to be. That's where I want to be. I want you to think about the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus asked God, when He, when he asked the Father, He says, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. I want you to think about three things. First of all, he recognized that the Father had a plan. He recognized that. And he didn't seek to circumvent God's plan. He said, hey, if there's another way, but whatever the case is, let your will be done. He didn't try to seek to overturn the Father's plan, and he ultimately accepted God's plan. And that's where we are. That's where we need to be. We need to be accepting of what God is doing. Now, that doesn't mean that we're just passively around and said, oh, well, whatever happens, I'm just going to accept it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just spiritually, we line up with God and we accept what he's doing and we have faith that he's got it under control. If you're his child, he's got you under control. He's watching out for you. And he's not going to let anything happen to you that's not going to be for your good or his glory. You know, that may be the greatest purpose for our trials. That may be the greatest purpose for our failures, for our disappointments. His good, I mean, our good, and His glory. Romans 8.28 tells us that, uh, says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You know, we read in the Bible that one purpose of adversity, one purpose of these disappointments is patience, Right? It's kind of a, that's, that's the longest four-letter word I've ever heard is patience. No, nobody likes patience, you know. Uh, James, James, uh, one, James 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In Romans 5, he says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that it produces patience and patience characters Character. Boy, the Bible defines patience a lot different than the world does, doesn't it? I was—I saw some funny quotes. Um, Ambrose Bierce wrote The Devil's Dictionary, and he defines patience as a minor form of despair disguised as virtue. Um, one person says that patience is what you have when there are too many witnesses. That's true. And then one person prays for patience. He says, Lord, give me patience, because if you give me strength, I'll need bail money too. You know? So what does patience mean in the Bible? The, the, the word is used, it's, 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 and I may mispronounce this, but it's hupomoni, Maybe hoopomon, I'm sorry, I'm not Greek. But it's used 32 times in the New Testament. And it's not, it's not a word that is like sitting quietly in a doctor's waiting room, you know, patiently waiting for your turn. Although most of us probably don't wait very patiently in a doctor's office. Um, it's more like perseverance. It's kind of like, like the ability to finish a marathon, you know, to kind of keep plodding along. To persevere Um, and we hear here in the scripture that patience produces a perfect work did you know that there's a perfect work that's produced by patience James told us that and so the answer of our faith is that the adversity that we go through it ought to put riches into our life that weren't there before that's what we, when, we go in, when we're going through trials, adversity, and we're having disappointments, look for the riches that it's going to produce in your life. It says to count it all joy. I don't know about you, it's hard to count adversity joy. That's a tough thing to do. I haven't really learned how to do that quite yet. But we at least get to know that there's value in the adversity. And we can look for the value and mine that out of our lives. You know, in uh, northern Scotland, there's a famous hunting lodge, and many years ago, um, someone was in there and they splashed some a pot of tea on a brand new wall that had just been, uh, had been decorated, and it left this unsightly splotch on the wall uh, that stretched almost from the floor to the ceiling. There's a man named Sir Edwin Lanzier. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's a famous artist that does renditions of animals, and when he came to the lodge and the guy was griping about it, he said, let me see what I can do, and he took paint and oils and, and you know, charcoal and crayons, and he created this lovely picture of this great you know, animal up on the wall. And so now, when people go to this lodge, it's not no longer a place for careless guests to go to spill tea, but it's a, it's a place of abiding beauty. Got, you know, Sir Edward Lanzier took something that was, by all accounts, an ugly splotch on a wall and turned it into an abiding beauty. I don't know about you, but only God can take our blunders, our tragedies, our failures, and He can turn them into something beautiful. And so I'm just thankful that I have a God that can make my frustrations, my disappointments, my failures into something that He can use and is beautiful for the furtherance of His kingdom. So, as we're kind of going through the rest of this election turmoil, as we're going through the rest of this COVID stuff, and I know that we're all suffering from you know, the shrinkage of the job market and other th- the pressure it's putting on family and on relationships. But I want you to know that you have a God that's bigger than your problems. He's not unaware of what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's happening. It's a simple message. I understand that, and some of you guys have grappled with this uh, already. It's a simple message, but just put your faith in the one who is worthy of your faith.